O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Those are the first two verses of Psalm 131, which along with Psalm 132 are the psalms appointed for today, Thursday, July the 1st, 2021. I'm your host for Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green. Thank you for being along today. We're continuing our study in the books of First Samuel and Acts and also in the Gospel of Luke. So remember what's happened here. We've got the Philistines have been harassing the people, and they, they have come into the land of Jabesh Gilead and are harassing the people there. And so the people of Jabesh Gilead said, we'll become your servants um, if we can't defeat you, but first give us seven days to actually go get some, um, work, to spread word throughout Israel and see if we can get some people to come and help us. And so that period that we were talking about yesterday um, with Samuel, given the words that about you've got a king you've asked for an evil thing and then they asked him to pray for them that's where we are and so there's this seven day period that that samuel has told saul to wait and then he'll come up to him after those seven days but it's getting bad i mean this is not good at all because it begins with the philistines mustered to fight with israel thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude does that language sound familiar? Like the sand on the seashore? That's the promise God gave to Abraham. And it's like too many to count is the, the actual number here. And so they look and they see this, and it's like, oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? And so they come up and they encamp at Mishmash, the Philistines do, to the east of beth And then the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble. But the people were hard-pressed. The people hid themselves in caves and holes and rocks and tombs and cisterns. I mean, that's fear. Any place, any kind of a hole that I can hide, including a tomb or a cistern, a place that collects water, <clears throat> I'm out of here. And then some Hebrews, which means river crossers actually, crossed the fords of the Jordan. They crossed back over the Jordan. It's interesting that, that whoever the writer of this is decides to call them Hebrews in that particular moment because that's what they're doing. They're river crossers. They're crossing the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Remember, those are the two tribes that decided to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Whenever they, they came into, into the land, they said, hey, this is good enough for us right here. Can we have this for our inheritance? And they were told, yes, but... It, we're not going to let you chicken out and not help your brothers conquer the land. In fact, you've got to go first. And if you go first, then whoever's left, you can come back and you can have the land over here on this side of the Jordan. So so these people have gone over to the other side of the Jordan in, or, in order to get away from the Philistines. And Saul was still at Gilgal, which is where Samuel had been ministering and where, the, where he met him originally was at Gilgal and where the reproach was taken away from Israel was, was at Gilgal. And so we're in this place, which must have been a place of worship, and he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. No, 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 no. You stepped way out of your lane. That is the job of a priest, not a king. Nobody ever gave you the authority to do that. But what's happening here is exactly the same thing that happened at Sinai, right? 
because um, they feared because Moses hadn't returned yet. As for this Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know where he is. And so it goes here. Saul says, no, 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 no. I got to keep the people together. I don't know where Samuel is. I got I to keep the people together. So I got to do this thing that I'm not appointed to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. But as soon as he had finished the offering, the burnt offering, Samuel came. And Samuel went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? So he knew that he had made the offering and he was not authorized to do so, nor had he waited as he was told to wait. Samuel said, what, do you, what have you done? And he said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you didn't come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me here at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I mean, this sounds exactly like Moses and Aaron after the after he has done the golden calves, right? I, I, I was afraid of the people. They were pressing me to do something, and so I forced myself and did something, even though that I knew it was wrong. But I was afraid. That's his answer. That's the whole answer he gives there. I was afraid. I was afraid because the people were scattering and, and we were horribly outnumbered. I was afraid because you didn't come. I was afraid because the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash. And so I was afraid that I hadn't sought the favor of the Lord, and so I just did it. I took it upon myself to do something. Oh, my gosh, this is the one thing in life that drives me crazier than anything else. Is that people are told something and they can't wait, and they're going to take matters into their own hands, they're going to do something. Well, you weren't told to do that. You weren't appointed to do that. You stepped way out of your lane and you did this thing. What in the world were you thinking? Why would you do that? But it's exactly the same thing that Aaron does. And Samuel said to him, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, which is to wait. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. This is the before the anointing of David. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Because you're disobedient. You're not submitted to God. You're submitted to your fear, Saul. That's the problem. And so Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. And the rest of the people went after Saul to meet the enemy. And he numbered the people who were present with him. There were 600 men. Remember 30,000 chariots, 6,000 on horses, and too many people to count on the other side. So Saul and Jonathan and his people who were present with them stayed at Geba of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped at Mishmash. And then raiders came out of the camp of Philistine in three companies, and they went to three different places. He is surrounded, is what that tells us. They're everywhere around you. And so Saul is not in a good place. But God said that he would deliver them from the Philistines through Saul. So what's he going to do, right? I mean, but this is the fear of man. And Saul has fear of man, not fear of God. So he's not obeying God. He's obeying not the command of God, but the voice of the people and his fear. That's what he's doing. He's doing these things because he's afraid. And, and who doesn't do that, right? I mean, I know what God promised. I know what he said. And so therefore, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And typically, what does that do? It makes things worse. But we've got to do something. We can't wait on God to do something. We've got to do something. Because, well... We just have to. So it, it's, uh, it's the, like I said, it's the thing that drives me crazier than anything else in the world is people who can't wait on the Lord for the fulfillment of His promises. And we have to take matters into our own hands. And then we end up causing delay 
in that, and we end up messing everything up and making a huge mess of everything. In this gospel lesson, they, the leaders, are desperate, absolutely desperate to get to kill Jesus. It's unbelievable. I mean, a mania has taken over them. But it's because, again, what I said was they feared the Romans, that the Romans are going to crack down on them because now the people are proclaiming Jesus as king, but they're also afraid the people are going to go out after Jesus and they're not coming back to them. So the only solution here is to get rid of Jesus. And so they've taken him to Pilate, remember? And Pilate said, I, I, I don't see any reason to do this. And then he finds out he's from Galilee and they oh, well, I'm going to send him over to Herod. I'm going, to, I'm going to kick this can down the road. I don't want to mess with this. this. This looks awful to me. It's a tar baby, and I don't want to get it stuck up in it. So he sends it to Herod. Herod says, I don't see anything either, and he sends him back to Pilate. So Pilate then calls the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to him, you brought this man to me as one who was misleading the people. And after examining, is examining him before you, behold, I didn't find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. What you brought were a bunch of lies. And nonsense. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I'll therefore punish and release him. But they all cried together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who'd been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Really? I mean, this is during the Passover, and the custom was that they would, they would release a prisoner of the Jews to them during the Passover. And so they're, they're saying, we want you to put Jesus to death, even though there's nothing that he's done that you've said is deserving of death. And Barabbas, who has committed two crimes, which are deserving of death, we want him. Give him back to us. Really? I mean, you, you want the guy who is a murderer and an insurrectionist? You want him back? And so... Pilate says, no, I'm not going to do that. We want to let Jesus go. And they said, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time he says, why, what evil has he done? I've found in him no guilt deserving death. I'll therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. I mean, Pilate does this to keep the peace he himself has said, this man hasn't committed a crime worthy of death. But because their voices are loud and the peace has been broken, I'm going to do what they ask. Not because it's the right thing, but because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of them and I'm afraid of the people over me. I have a tenuous grasp on this kingdom anyway. And so I'm going to do whatever is required to keep the peace, even though it, I know that it's the wrong thing. And so he does. And this is oh, so typical, right? I mean, the fear of man will cause you to do the dumbest things in the world. You're choosing the expedient path. You know, be a pragmatist about it, right? I mean, that is, hey, okay, so what's, what's the right thing to do here? It doesn't matter. What's the pragmatic thing to do? What will fix this and make it go away as quickly as possible? Well, I'm going to do what they demand, even though they have no right to demand it, and I don't have any basis on which to carry out the punishment. And he released the man who had been thrown into prison, Barabbas, for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. They, they forced his hand, but only because he was weak. Everybody's afraid. They're afraid of Jesus. Pilate's afraid of them. He's afraid of his overseers in Rome. 
just the, this fear thing overwhelms us and causes us to do things that we would not otherwise do. And in retrospect, you have to look back and think, why did I do that? Why was I so afraid of that? Why was I unable to wait for the Lord's judgment and to wait for Him to do the thing that I know that He had promised to do? And so here, though, we get this, this completely this beautiful story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch as he has left Samaria after the Peter and John have come out, laid hands on the people that he had baptized, and now they've laid hands on him like bishops, and they've, they've prayed that they would receive the Holy Spirit, and, and the people did. And so now he's leaving, and, and God says, rise and go down toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then we're told this is a desert place. I mean, you know, God, you, you want me to go to a desert place? Why, why do you want me to go to a desert place? Why would I go there? There's not really a huge crowd of people down there for me to go preach the gospel to. So is that what happened? On, and he rose and went. <laughs> he did exactly that. God seems to be sending him to a place that is so meaningless and bereft of people that there's no reason to go. But once he gets there, there's an Ethiopian there, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip runs over, so now he's running alongside this chariot, and he hears him reading because you read out loud. It's only us in the last hundred years or so who read silently. So he's reading out loud, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how could I possibly do that unless someone guides me? Because you know, he's, where he's reading, you'll see in a second, it is, I don't even know what this means and who he's talking about. And he, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or somebody else? And then Philip began to preach the gospel from that point forward it's about jesus that's who it is and this is what just happened within the last couple of months this is what happened and, and so here's the proof of all of this and so the the eunuch believes this and he says hey they've come to some water and the eunuch said see here's some water what prevents me from being baptized they're in a desert place and they come upon water at exactly the right time god clearly every bit of this story is under God's control. His sovereignty is shown in all these things. His omnipotence, his, his omnipresence, his omniscience, all of it is on display right here in this thing. He gets him exactly where he needs to be at exactly the time he needs to be there, and then he gets him to water at exactly the time this, this man's ready to be baptized. And so they go down and he baptizes. And when he comes out, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. He just disappeared, poof, gone. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and so he began to preach from there all the way to Caesarea. Now, this eunuch is a guy who, who is a powerful man, but he's a eunuch. And, and a eunuch has no place in the kingdom, right? In, in, under the covenant, the old covenant, there's no place in the kingdom. Except in the new kingdom, there is a place. And, and it's three chapters later in Isaiah. And what it says is, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, and he's a foreigner, he's an Ethiopian, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. He'll separate me out from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. This guy's both. 
And God's speaking to him in both those roles in this passage from, from Isaiah, three chapters after what he's reading. For, and this is in the new kingdom. There's a place for both for you in every bit of that. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. They won't have an everlasting name any other way because that's been cut off. Their ability to do that has been cut off literally physically, but then also not just physically, but otherwise as well. There, there will be no further progeny from them. And that's the reason they can't fulfill the, the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. So eunuchs are not allowed into the kingdom because they've mutilated themselves and they've, they've taken away their ability to... to um, to keep that commandment of being fruitful and multiplying. But here in Isaiah, three chapters later, the promise is to them and to foreigners as well, and that they'll be brought in and they'll be given an everlasting name. I mean, if you're a eunuch, the one thing you'll never have is an everlasting name, but God says, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. So this man is given the greatest hope that could ever possibly be. The gospel applied to him. It applies to you. Whatever your sin... It applies to you just as much. There's room for you. He came and he died for you. If you'll just give it over to him. And you'll receive with gladness the salvation of the proclamation from Isaiah all the way through the end of the Gospels. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful story. This man need no longer fear. The one thing he had to fear more than anything else is there's no place for me. There's no hope for me in the kingdom of God. I want to become one of them, but I can't be circumcised and I can't enter the kingdom because of this. Jesus made a way for even him to enter the kingdom. He need no longer fear anything at all. Let's get rid of fear in our lives and let's start living in victory and and faith and strength rather than fear.